This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited about today because we've got Ali Wolf. Uh, Ali Wolf, of course, is the chief economist at Zonda, right. which is, uh, we think about Zonda Urban, but Zonda is, of course, across the United States. She's advising builders on new home, new construction, but also an advisor to the White House. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, she does a monthly advisory call with yes. the White House. And and yeah, with Biden. Biden's <laughs> I'm not on. sure if Biden's on the call. <laughs> but but in my mind, Biden, it's just a FaceTime. It's just with Ali, Ali, and Ali and Biden. <laughs> <laughs> but in case anyone doesn't remember, Zonda, of course, uh, across the United States, moved into Canada. Zonda Urban is big in right. Vancouver. They have the Livable site, which uh, sponsored the podcast for a while. But it was a real get, uh, getting Ali Wolf, the chief economist of Zonda, on. We're talking hot U.S. markets, what's going on in U.S. housing, but she also gives her take on the Canadian market. Is it a bubble? Uh, she talks about Vancouver. Is it where, a bubble? <laughs> <laughs> uh, where she's where she's excited about right across North America and, and general take on inflation, interest rates. You know, we run the gamut. This is a great talk. We have a lot of people on this program that also invest in the United States. And some of the biggest takeaways for me were like the markets that she, the emerging markets that right. she's excited about. Tons of takeaways in this conversation, and Ali is uh, so well spoken and so smart. It's, yeah. it's obvious that no, she's a force. Yeah, she's an absolute force. So, uh, before we get to that, Matt, we just saw Ken Sim on Tuesday at the Addy event put on by Stephen Jagger. Really appreciate him having us out. Yeah, past guest fan favorite. Uh, Ken did not disappoint as Both well. Both of them are past guest fan favorites. Yeah, actually. well, Ken, we had him on the program. If you haven't listened to that episode with the mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim. Go back and check that out. But we're also trying to get him back on the show. I feel like he's he's been in office now over just over a year. Just over yeah. a year. What a time to reflect since uh, we had him on before. He I was feel elected. like you and him made eyes a couple times during. I think his he talk. was looking at me, going, "How do I know this? Uh, who's 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 who, this pudgy face? Who let, that, uh, who let this guy in? Yeah, who let this guy? <laughs> who's this guy in a garbage bag sitting across from me? Uh, this is uh, this is I. I literally I felt like I I wanted to approach him after the show, but he was surrounded. I by know people. that's always how it. it, it I hate at talks like that. And I guess it's because I want to do the same. Yeah. Whereas somebody says, okay, th thanks. And uh, thanks for coming. And then suddenly 19 people bum rush the stage trying right. to get uh, the guests ear. Yeah. I also thought about asking the question, would you ever consider going back on the Vancouver real estate <laughs> podcast? <laughs> no affiliation. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's uh, some people that stood out that were, I mean, there's so many amazing people from the industry there, but just past guests that were there. Mark yeah. Goodman, I saw you talking to Mark Goodman. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to Mark, but, uh, he, Oh man, it was, it was great talking to him. Uh, of course he's exclusively works in multifamily. 
sold beach towers. He was on a, a while ago. That was what, before COVID maybe? Just yeah, and the Goodman Report, obviously. The Goodman Report. Yeah, he uh, he's he's doing a lot in the art world now, which maybe speaks to the commissions in multifamily. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> took a better path than us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's hedged, he said. He's, uh, he's hedged into the art world. Uh, interesting. Well, yeah, and it's Simon Bray from REW. Uh, Sporting a V-Rep t-shirt, no big deal. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't see that, but apparently... Um, he loves the fit, is what he said to me. They're good shirts. They're good shirts. They're good shirts. Uh, Mark Ting, of course, who we're going to try and get back on the show. We saw Cameron McNeil from MLA. Uh, Andre Pavlov, Professor Andre Pavlov. Professor <laughs> Professor. Andre Pavlov to you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, and then I got a chance. I hadn't seen Zach Ross from Cape Group for, well, since we had him on like probably three plus years ago. Yeah. But trying to get him back on the show. So, so many bright people in the industry trying to get them all back on the show. That yeah. Was, it, it was a good, it was a good networking throw, show your face and try and get a bunch of guests lined up. Yeah. So a lot of people avoiding us. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> they knew we were going to be uh, forcing the invites. So, but yeah, it, but was it was great. it was great seeing so many uh, friendly faces. Uh, Ken Sims talk did not disappoint. Um, it was an interesting take on kind of a year in. And yeah, shout out to Stephen Jagger from Addy, uh, past guest fan favorite for inviting us. But uh, Adam, before we uh, cut to our talk with Ali Wolf, uh, we got to just mention Jaden Lee here. Uh, Absolutely. This is so October 6th. This is coming up very, very quickly. Jaden Lee, of course was on the show a couple months ago detailing his journey in real estate, but also as a cancer survivor. On October 6th, he has his five years last appointment free and clear at BC Children's Hospital. And what he's doing is he's leaving at 3 p.m. after his appointment, BC Children's. He's running home to Chilliwack, but he's taking the long route, 100 miles. It's going to be over 24 hours of running. We're running with him. Uh, just talked to Keith Winterman, friend oh, of the yeah. show. He's going to be running. He's looking to run in the Burnaby section, uh, but he's also oh. raising money. So uh, there's people that are really getting behind this, but time's running out. We got a couple weeks to keep raising money. His goal is enormous, $150,000. The run is enormous. We'd love to see people out there. We'd love to see people supporting Jaden. It's on the the Secure website is on our website, the live, you just click on the live wire. When you get that mailer, there's a button. If you'd like, go to Instagram. It's pinned to our Instagram at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, or you can go to Jaden Lee's Instagram underscore Jaden Lee. That's J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E. Uh, there's, it's all going to BC Children's Hospital. There's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be donating or running. And the amount of time and effort that Jaden has put in is just unreal. So yeah, go, go support, go help him out. It's all for a good cause. And Matt, of course, this week we are sponsored by Scalina Real Estate, which is our real estate company, helping people buy and sell real estate throughout the lower mainland. This week, we've got a fantastic featured listing 2008 at 1155 Seymour Street. This is launching on Monday. I got to say, fully renovated, one bed, fantastic views of the city, like unbelievable, breathtaking city views. I love this building. I love this unit. Great amenities right in the heart of downtown. This is going to be a fantastic one bed. If you want to check it out, Matt, how can you do that? Well, it's very easy, Adam. I should say Brava Towers, great building. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We now have a featured listings section at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where all our exclusive listings live. You also can go there, as most of our sellers have, 
and download the Sold Plan, Adam. Absolutely, Matt. Yeah, while you're there, why don't you check out Sell With Us? A free download is the Sold Plan Start on Launch Date. This is our step-by-step guide for getting your home ready for the market. Check it out at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sell With Us is how you find it. And without further ado, let's cut to our conversation with Ali Wolf from Zonda. Absolutely. This is a great episode. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Ali Wolf. She is the chief economist at Zonda. How are you doing, Ali? I'm good. How are you guys? Very well. Yeah, thanks, Ali, for, for taking the time today. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about housing, even though it feels like it changes almost every week. It, yeah, it does these days. And Ali, where, where are you in California right now? I am. So born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, but I've lived in California now for the past 10 years. Excellent. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yep. So as you guys heard, I'm the chief economist with Zonda. Zonda is a housing data and consultancy firm, and we're the largest data provider across North America. We have data for Canada and the U.S. And really what my role at the company is, is to step back and look at trends, look at what's happening in the economy, what's happening with policy, what's happening in different housing markets, and then help to guide our clients on... Should they be building more homes? Should they be building fewer homes? What market should they be paying attention to? And so we do a lot of presentations and, and blogs highlighting our take on the market. Great. And, and why why Real Estate Alley? Or maybe put another way, were you an economist that landed a gig at Zonda and then started looking at real estate? Or were you always focused on, on real estate and uh, and it just seemed like a perfect fit? That's a great question. Uh, it really stemmed from my love for economics. Uh, When I took Econ 101, at least back then, the definition of economics was the efficient allocation of resources. And when I heard that, I had never really heard myself described in a sentence better. That's really how I live my life. (laughs) I just realized that economics and me were made for each other. Um, But as many of you guys know, when you're going through university and then trying to figure out what to do, it's great that you love econ, but you have to figure out how to actually actually apply that to the real world. And I think real estate's a really good way of looking at data and math, but it also 
has so much to do with consumer behavior and consumer thoughts. And I think I just loved the intersection between those two. So maybe switching gears a little bit, Ali, can can we talk about the U.S. market currently? How is the U.S. market? You know what's funny is traditionally when you would talk about the U.S. market, you could say a statement like that. Um, as you know, even in Canada, there is no, no national housing market, but at least historically, you could give a broad answer. I think today what we have to acknowledge is that there's really a tale of two different housing markets in the U.S., uh, one of them being the existing home market, so used homes or resale homes. And that market's really in this kind of stalemate place. And, and we can talk about why. The new home market, I wouldn't say it's going gangbusters, but the new home market's pretty strong, all things considered. And and can you unpack that? Because that, that seems surprising with, with the higher interest rates that the new home construction is is busy. Exactly. So the way you should think about it is traditionally new homes are a luxury good. And that doesn't just apply to the US. That would apply really across the country or across the world. But as we look at the new home market in the US, traditionally new homes were 30% more expensive than resale homes. Today, because resale inventory is so tight, new homes are only 7% more expensive. So partly because of the value equation, people are saying, okay, if I'm going to spend a lot of money and if I'm going to lock in a high interest rate, I want to make sure that I'm getting a good product on the other side. And so that's kind of the starting point for some consumers. But then more specifically, at least in the US, what home builders are able to do is offer incentives to consumers. So the builder may say, hey, I know interest rates are 7% right now, but if you buy from us, the home builder, we're going to put money towards buying down that interest rate so that you can buy a home with us and you'll probably get a 5% interest rate, not 7 And you aren't seeing... That's extremely expensive to do. You're not seeing existing homeowners kind of pull out the same um, pocketbook to, to be able to fund that change. Ali, one thing that strikes me about, about uh, that gap narrowing between resale and, and new construction, it, it seems like actually it's the opposite here. We talked to a lot of developers in Vancouver, and they're just talking about their costs. The inflation has just ramped up the cost so much over the last couple of years that they can't build anything for cheaper. And actually, the resale market seems quite attractive in comparison. What accounts for that gap narrowing from 30% to, to 7%? Two big drivers. So the first would be, and I'm actually surprised this isn't happening in Canada as much, because resale inventory is so tight in the US, existing homeowners that have a house and they're going to sell their house, they basically realize that they're sitting on gold. And so they are pricing homes way higher than the homes would have been priced even just three years ago, even in some cases, just one year ago. So part of it is just because the resale owners know that they have pricing power. And I would say on the other side, which is where in a way you could say it's an apples to oranges comparison, we also know that builders, because of all the same things that you're seeing in Canada, inventory is tight, labor is tight, material costs are, are high. Builders are saying, well, what can we do to be able to build an affordable house? And part of the answer is build a smaller house. So when you look at new homes, they're down 10% in size compared to last year. Interesting. Interesting. It Ali, when we we often hear uh, the story of of low inventory in the U.S. market, kind of across the board, 
Is that is that the case? And why why is inventory so low in the resale market? This is a big difference between Canada and the U.S. Um, at least from my understanding, you guys don't offer the thirty year fixed rate mortgage, and in no. the U.S. we do, and basically everyone has one. <laughs> and when you look at the thirty year fix, you got to put yourself in a homeowner's shoes. So what we know in the U.S. is that eighty percent of homeowners have a mortgage rate under five. We have 60% of homeowners that have a mortgage rate under four. That means someone is sitting on their house and they are servicing the loan with the exact same monthly payment every single month, every single year. And they're able to, let's say, have a 3.5% interest rate. That's not resetting. And so someone is saying, you know what? I don't like my house. Maybe I don't like my neighborhood. Maybe I don't like my neighbors. I don't want to live here anymore but I also feel trapped. And it's this. I think it's a different dynamic than Canada because people are saying, if I move now, I'm going to be giving up my 3.5% interest rate to maybe 7, which we talked about is the market rate, or maybe 5 that you're going to get through the builder. But that's really going to dramatically change the monthly payment. So a lot of people are just choosing to stay put. And does that continue in your mind until uh, interest rates come down? Like, is this a kind of log jam that is entirely dependent on on interest rates? Yes, partly. Um, and I think this is where the builder discussion comes back in of the, the two different housing markets. We've seen that if builders offer the rate at five, people will sell their home and reset the interest rate. So in a lot of cases, we're not waiting for interest rates to go back down to two and a half or three and a half. We actually don't even think that's in the cards in the next five years. But we think that we need to narrow the gap between the rate at which someone is sitting on or what their current house is at versus what the market rate is. And again, I think that's why builders have been able to gain some of the shares. They can at least get that gap more narrow. Ali, does this moment in the market remind you of any other? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really? I can't even stretch it. No. Interesting. And and just to just to go back to your comment about the interest rates over the next five years, I mean, we've talked uh, quite a bit about higher for longer. And of course, Canada is a different country, but uh, our interest rate policy, I think, is we're, we're always in line with the U.S. in a lot of ways, or at least forced to be in line with the U.S. Can you talk about where you see interest rates going over the next one, three and five years? Yeah. And let me say that I will answer this with the utmost humility. I think this is one of the most complicated numbers to forecast because you're not just looking at what the Federal Reserve is going to do. You also need to understand what's happening with inflation, what's happening with the economy, what's happening with investors, what's happening internationally. There are just a lot of factors at play, but I can at least give you our sense of where they might go. So so the key point here is that in the US, we were hovering at about 6% interest rates. And, and that was for the past year. And just over the past month, we've gone back up into 7%. And, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. Part is our, our federal debt and deficit. Part of that comes down to the pullback from investors from China and Japan. But part of it is also what you guys just mentioned, which is the higher for longer. I was among many economists uh, in the camp that we would fall into an economic recession this year. And traditionally speaking, if you fall into an economic recession, you generally have mortgage rates come down, not back to, again, that that 25 or 3%, but you see that usually investors put their money into a safe place, which is government bonds, and that pushes the yield down. 
We obviously are still seeing great data in the US. The economy is still extremely strong. And I think it's it's very hard to see a recession starting um, just in the last quarter here. So that's kept interest rates higher. Our view is that we probably do end up falling into a US economic recession um, sometimes sometime next year, maybe second, third quarter. And what that traditionally will result in is the Federal Reserve cutting rates. And as they cut rates, usually mortgage rates go down ahead of some kind of cut from the Federal Reserve. So we do think that there are reasons to believe rates will go back towards the five or sixes next year. But like I mentioned, lots of moving parts that could play into that. What what in your mind is uh, the biggest risk to the housing market in, in the U.S. At, at this point. And, I, and I'm just thinking about, you know, fairly stable on this higher for longer interest rate environment, but most people are locked into these long-term mortgages that presumably are, are attractive and they can they can afford, their costs haven't changed. Like, what do you, what do you see as a, the biggest risk? An economic shock that we are not expecting a foreclosure crisis. And I think this is such an important difference, both in Canada and the US, is just how much more stable the overall housing market is this cycle than what we've seen in the past. But it doesn't mean you couldn't still have some people that lose their job and maybe they can't find a job quickly and maybe they have to sell for an economic reason. Or maybe you have an investor that maybe needs to sell a home because of some kind of shifts in the economy. I bucket the risks... So all of them, I would say, are economic shocks, but I would bucket it into three categories. So one is just the risk related to the Federal Reserve. And and I would say more broadly across the globe is just the risks related to what these central banks are doing. Um, As you guys probably know, in the 1960s, this phrase, a long and variable lag, was established, which is, we think we know what higher interest rates have meant for the economy because we've experienced them since last March in both of our countries. But it also mm-hmm. takes time for that to actually filter into the in, into the economy. So I think, to me, there's still some risks related to the Fed. There's still some risks related to consumers and, and what's happening with their savings accounts versus spending versus debt. And then also risks related to the office, office market and commercial real estate. Ali, um, the IMF uh, had flagged Canada as uh, the riskiest of 27 nations for its housing market. What are What's your perception or impression of the Canadian real estate market and also the Vancouver market? Yeah. So as I mentioned, our company does a lot of work in Canada. And while I'm not involved in the day-to-day, I at least try to stay up to date on, on what we're seeing in the headlines. It seems like the Canadian housing market in a lot of instances, has followed kind of this parallel path. Although, as we've been on this call, we've uncovered times where where the industry or really the housing market in, in north and south of the border have diverged. I think the biggest thing that I learned going to Vancouver, I have a, a best friend there, so I've been there a lot for for fun, but I went there professionally a few months ago. And, and the biggest thing that stood out to me is how difficult it is to get more homes built. And to me, the reason it was such an aha, which I know you guys live there and you experience it, but I live in Los Angeles, an area that across the US is kind of made fun of as being expensive and being landlocked and all of this. And when I went to Vancouver, I was like, 
this market is so much worse than LA in terms of the availability to get more homes built and match what we're seeing with population changes and immigration changes. Um, and I think I just realized that in Canada, you're going to have a longstanding supply issue probably indefinitely. I just don't know how in some of these major employment centers, there's going to be enough homes built to be able to really supply the market in any um, scale. So it's, it's, and we talk a lot about supply, but it's just that fundamentally uh, adds a, a level of stability to, to the region. Yeah, I do think. And I, I and I'm, not traditionally a belief that home prices only go up, but as I think about a market like Vancouver over a longer period of time, to me, it just feels like I don't know how there could be prices in the long term that have gone down because you're just never going to be able to find that right balance of supply and demand. Can you can you talk a little bit about the impact of COVID on cities in the U.S. and and specifically maybe cities along the West Coast? And I think this also, the way that I'll answer this, I think it also applies to Vancouver, Toronto, or some of your your big cities as well. But we saw during COVID exactly what you would imagine is people were in these more dense, high-cost areas. And they realized that, hey, maybe I can work from home, or maybe I've reevaluated what I value in life. And so we've seen some migration away from the larger cities. In some cases, that just means someone moving more inland or away from a central business district. And in some cases, that means people have straight up uprooted and moved, in my case, to a different state. Um, But when you look at that, and I was looking at, again, going back to Los Angeles, I was looking at how many homes are being built in Los Angeles over the past quarter. And the answer was 2,500 homes were being built. And so I think that there is this reality that people have left big cities, but it kind of goes back to what I said about Vancouver, which is even as you have people leaving, you still have a supply and demand imbalance that's holding the housing market up, I think, a lot better than what people would have originally expected. So can we talk a little bit more about that in terms of it's holding up the market, Um, you know, at least from, from afar, uh, and we like to think of ourselves as a part of Cascadia and and in line with Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and and I guess right down to to Los Angeles, in, in some respects. Um, we we keep hearing about you know the hollowing out of downtowns. You mentioned the office and commercial market. What what's your take on on that trend? And do we see a reversal? Is that directly related to COVID and its aftermath? Or is that kind of a, a shift in in these, these urban centers? My understanding when you think about the office space and the commercial real estate space is that class A or exceptionally well-located or executed office buildings are still um, or have returned to a more normal or reasonable level of occupancy. So when I think about the the big cities, I think San Francisco is probably the one that stands out to me as probably taking the greatest hit, at least the the central downtown area. And that's because partly some of the tech jobs have just left San Francisco. And so you have big employers that have moved out of the market. But in other large cities, what we're finding is Class A is still doing fine. It's almost more of a concern about the commercial real estate that's maybe 
further out in the suburbs or isn't attractive to companies and if they're trying to attract talent, that to me seems like it's almost that first or second outer ring from the central business district that poses some risk. Um, and I know you were mentioning states across the the West, but Texas is to me is one of the markets that stands out where yes, there's been a lot of growth, but there's also a lot of suburban office space that I think poses a risk to to their local economy. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. I feel like everything I hear about Texas is pretty rosy when it comes to real estate. Mm-hmm. So that's that's surprising. Maybe, Ali, in, in thinking about uh, cities just across across the United States, what, what cities are you most excited about currently? Or real estate markets. It doesn't yeah. have to be a city. Yeah. Um, a couple ways that I would want to answer that. but But let me go with what I would say are maybe the more under the radar markets or the markets that are becoming more more popular now. Um, the, the key thing to understand in the US is that there aren't many under the radar markets anymore because when you had work from home and people that could relocate, a lot of the areas that I would say I was traditionally very excited about, I'm still excited about, but I would also have a little bit more caution and we can explore that in a moment. But I really like... So there's a phrase in the US. So it's called halfbacks. So what we find normally is people that live in the Midwest or people that live in the Northeast go and they say, you know what? I'm sick of this weather. I want to go down to the South of the US and I generally will end up in Florida. And then some people get to Florida and for one reason or another, it's too hot or maybe it's not what they expected, but they don't want to go back to the Midwest or the Northeast. So they go halfback. 
So that means they're going up from Florida, but not as north as the Midwest. And where that puts me to is places like North Carolina or places like Virginia, where I think Virginia wasn't as popular during the height of the pandemic. North Carolina was. And I know just in in my circle of friends, a couple people that are moving to Virginia now because they originally wanted to move maybe to Charlotte or Raleigh and Charlotte to Raleigh have gotten really expensive. And so they're saying, okay, well, where's the next place? And it seems like Virginia is along that path of growth. So Virginia. Interesting. Virginia, okay. Any other any other markets? We hear so much or we've heard so much about well, Florida, but also the Sunbelt states. Is that still is that is that trend over for the for the foreseeable future? Is Phoenix still growing like gangbusters? So there's one way that we can track this in real time, which is data through Bank of America. They're able to anonymize all of the people that are uh, banking with them, and they're able to track where they move to. And one of you guys mentioned Florida. Jacksonville, Florida is still number one on their list. It's number one from our U.S. Census Bureau, and then it's also number one from Bank of America. So still interested in, in Florida, and I think Jacksonville in particular, because Miami's expensive, parts of the... Southwest of Florida have a little bit of, of climate risk um, just with some of the hurricanes recently. Tampa's become expensive. Orlando's become expensive. Jacksonville's kind of that next path of growth. And, and it's not really a secret. It, it has been a path of growth, but we're still seeing that because I think it's still more affordable. The second highest market that we're still seeing a lot of migration, which I think will surprise you, uh, is Columbus, Ohio. So uh, we're seeing parts of the Midwest. If it's somewhere that has culture, affordability, um, you know, foodies want to want to be there. It has a good drinking culture too. Um, sports, uh, we're seeing that that's a big a big market. And then Austin, I don't know how much you guys have followed the Austin housing market, but it kind of took a reputational hit for home prices getting too high. And last year, the housing market just stalled out. Prices went down. Homes were not selling. Um, but even despite that, people are still moving to Austin. Uh, let me finish with you had mentioned Phoenix. Phoenix to me is a market that got too hot for its own good. There were just so many people that moved there and so many high income individuals that moved there that the prices had shot up so much that the market's not as hot as it was, but it's definitely still a good healthy housing market. Great. I hear about Austin all the time. So I and and so is Austin still in your mind a a, a good buy for investors? I'm very torn about the Austin market. Because I do think... So traditionally, if I live in California, you would say that I live in one of the most, if not the most expensive housing markets across the country. And so it's rare for me to look somewhere else in the US and say, geez, that's expensive. And when I look at real estate (laughs) in Austin, I say, geez, that's expensive. Right. But if you look at the US, nationally, we have 6% more high-income job growth than we had going into the pandemic. So 6% nationally. Austin is the highest in the entire country at 30% more high-income jobs compared to before the pandemic. So in a way, you could argue that it's still in the top three for migration. It's number one in the country for high-incomes. And both of those are pretty supportive of home prices and home values going up, especially because they do have a little bit of of geographic barriers to to new construction. So 
So I, I like I said, I, I'm torn. I think I think if it's a long term investment, it probably still makes sense just given the fundamentals. You know, this is a, a question we don't usually ask economists, but I'll just put it to you. You have a, a, a niece who's looking to invest in real estate in the United States and and basically is wide open to to any market. And she comes to you and says, hey, Ali, what city should I or what area should I be looking at for long term, long term growth, uh, stability? What area would you send her to? Is she investing to rent out the house? Yes. I would send her to maybe Raleigh, North Carolina, maybe Portland, Oregon. And part of that is because they have an urban growth boundary, which is just going to inhibit development and future growth. Maybe Jacksonville, Florida. And that's partly because, like we mentioned, Jacksonville was kind of that untapped gem, but it's maintaining its momentum. And then I really think that Tampa... Florida still has opportunity. I loved Tampa before the pandemic. We were telling our clients like build in Tampa and it was it was kind of under the radar I'd say 5 years ago. And now it's really this gem where it has some Midwest Midwest culture but also um some landlocked because I think for long-term investment you want to have some barriers to additional growth. Um notice that I'm not saying Dallas or Houston because while those are areas where people are moving to kind of sky's the limit of how many more units can be built there. And right. I think that if you're thinking from an investment point of view, maybe isn't isn't the best strategy. I, I'm going to move us along because Matt's about to ask about your stock picks. So <laughs> um, Hank, how, how, are, how are the environmental concerns uh, shaping the U.S. housing market? You know, it's really interesting to be asked that because... I find that a lot of the areas where new construction is occurring are also some of the markets that do have some environmental risks to them, whether that's flooding or whether that's just a, a fear of, of how hot they get over time. I don't think it's changing where construction is occurring or where consumers are buying as much as you would maybe think. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's here as well. It's it's strange how the mar markets just don't seem to factor that risk in, which seems, you know, we just had, a, a, and it's still going on, a forest fire uh, season here in British Columbia. And it, and it seems like immediately after it's done, people forget and just continue on. Yeah, well, and even think about some of the markets that I, I told you. I, I mentioned Tampa and Jacksonville, and both of those are at... Um, I think Jacksonville is a little bit more insulated given where it is. It's kind of this this jet in from the rest of the state, which I think helps it a little bit from hurricane risk. But Tampa, two times in the past, I think, three years, it was on the path of a big hurricane where, where if I remember the numbers correctly, it was something like Tampa hasn't been hit with a hurricane in, I think it was 80 years or maybe 100 years. And two times, a really big one was coming right at it. And I think because it keeps escaping that, you know, people are still buying. And and even somewhere like Naples, Florida, so go just a little bit more south of Tampa, huge hurricane hit them, I think it was last year or earlier this year. And when you look at the rental market, and you look at the stats, rent rates are up, home prices are up, and that's because people still want to live there. But now some of the supply has been damaged. So that's actually pushed home prices up, despite, I think, what you would imagine. One thing that we didn't talk about, though, is, and I don't know how much this is applying in Canada, but 
We are finding some of the areas that are higher climate risk. They're now getting faced with higher insurance costs. And I think that could be the component that could slow the markets more so than someone trying to plan for the future. It's really the insurance companies trying to plan for the future. Yeah, we're we're seeing that actually in the Okanagan, like certain times of the year where you actually can't get insurance, mm. which is problematic, right? And I mean, I think that's one thing that that will probably have maybe more impact even than than natural disasters, yeah, uh, on certain markets. Maybe maybe um, we've got two more questions for you, and I know I know we're we're getting close to uh, the cutoff here. What what do you think the headline will be for 2024? We're obviously in the last coming on the last quarter here, pretty close to 2023. What do you think the headline will be for 2024? And then thoughts on the market in the next uh, one one to five years here. Great question, and I'm not good at actually coming up with headlines, but I can tell you my general thesis <laughs> about the market. So in the U.S., we have a survey that Zonda does with builders across the country, and we have 75% of builders right now that think they're going to start more homes in 2024 than 2023. So in a way, I could say it's the year of the builder. But but again, I know that that depends. It doesn't sound like it directly applies to Canada as much. But I think in a way, it's the year of the builder. But I think what we're also going to continue to deal with is what I'm calling life happens. It's the life happens housing market. Here, I just had a reporter uh, put out a story mm. about life happens. And really what I mean by that is there's a lot of reasons why people aren't buying a home today. And we've talked about, you know, maybe you don't want to sell your home and give up the interest rate. There's a lot of people that just feel uncomfortable about where home prices are and where mortgage rates are. And despite that in the US this year, and I think it would apply to next year too, we're still going to sell about 5 million homes. And that just doesn't make sense when you look at, or at least in my mind, it doesn't really make sense when you look at some of the headwinds. But we really attribute this to, there's times where math says you shouldn't be moving, you shouldn't be buying, you shouldn't be selling. The math is just like, don't do it. But what we know is that at least in the US, the largest share of the largest living generation are the millennials. And the millennials are getting married and they're having kids and their parents are retiring and people are still migrating and moving from different parts of the, the country. And to me, all of that has applied to, you know what, maybe I shouldn't buy, but life happens. I'm having a kid or a second kid and I need to still go through with this transaction. And I think that that has been the dominant driver this year. And I think it'll be the dominant driver next year. And, and I should say that always happens, right? Like that's not new news. But what has changed is we don't have this extra, the cherry on top, the extra buyers that we saw over the past few years. We're now structural demand buyers that are contributing to and, and moving the housing market along. I feel like that it captures, that's such a great way, the life happens market. I feel like that captures the Vancouver market so succinctly in, <laughs> in this moment, moment yeah. right? It's yeah. yeah. And which it's, it's almost entirely end users. I feel like right moving through the market right now, which, which lines up with that thesis as well. Yeah. Ali, we do have this segment called the five wire, five quick and lighthearted questions that we end every show with. Can you stick around for that? Yeah. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina real estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect 
five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, question number one is, one book you would recommend for all of our listeners? Oh, gosh. Um, I have a few. Um, I love The Alchemist. I know it's not a business book, but I feel like there's a lot of life lessons you can learn from it. You're not the you're you're not the first person that's recommend. suggested that book. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, have you guys read it yet? No. Okay. Uh, I have not. And you know what? I actually, for some reason, had in my head from a long time back that it was not something I should read. But we've literally had two or three guests recommend it, so it's definitely on the on the list. Time to do it. In the last five years, Allie, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most impacted your life? Okay, so we all know the kind of classic business phrases. Um, I'm trying to think of one that's not the one that I'm going to say. But I think what I learned is there's reasons that phrases stick. And the one that has become the most impactful to me is in business, it's all about who you know. I just think that could not be more true. And again, it's not new advice, but I think I always took... It's a cliche that I was trying to say. I think I always took those cliches like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that one to me, I think will make or break someone's career. Question number three, what have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? Uh, we just finished Silicon Valley on HBO. So about the the tech world and it's a hoot. It's so dumb, but it's, but it's clever too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Favorite band or music? Um, I love metal music and I don't, uh, I'm torn. Avenged Sevenfold. If you guys don't listen to, I think they're, they're just, the most creative geniuses in the music space. Um, but besides that, my actual favorite band, Breaking Benjamin. Okay. I've heard of one of those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and la last but not least, uh, well, actually, I've got a, a quick bonus question too, but something you have purchased for under $1,500 that's uh, had a positive impact on your life in the last few years. This isn't going to apply to anyone else but me, but I just got back from Egypt and they make um, 18 karat gold necklaces in the shape of a cartouche, which is um, goes back to the hieroglyphic days. And I got one with my name on it and it just brings me joy every day of my life. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and a bonus question just for, just for you, Allie. Matt is a huge fan of the West Wing. So we had to ask you this. What's it like being an advisor to the White House uh, for Real Estate <laughs> Matters? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And have you yes. been there or is it a virtual scenario? It's only a virtual scenario. I've consulted with them now for, I think, almost two years and it's always virtual. I would say what I learned from consulting with them, and, and really when I say consulting, I give them every month, along with a couple other economists, we give them just a state of the market. Hey, this is what we're seeing, it's not that they can't read about it too, but we give them some of the proprietary data or release data to them before the, the news outlets would have it. I think what I learned through all of that is I'm as guilty as most people. I will point blame to the Federal Reserve or to the White House or to policymakers of their dumb policy choices. And, oh, it's their fault that we're here. And when you're on the calls with them, sometimes they say, okay, well, what's your policy recommendation? 
And when they actually ask you that and you're put on the spot, and it's not that you have to answer quickly, but I think you just realize some of the problems that we have are more systemic and and it's not an easy kind of wave a magic wand and you can set policy and it will change the path of growth or or make things better for you know lower income individuals or make home ownership more accessible or attainable. Those are really hard problems to solve. You know what? I, I love that answer. I feel like the thing that drives me crazy that we don't really talk about, especially if you're on Twitter, is watching all the the self-proclaimed uh, experts villainize everybody <laughs> and everybody's mm-hmm. an idiot. And the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, the head of the bank, what a, what a, he got it wrong and they get it wrong. And all it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's I love that answer. It's, it's, it's a challenging times. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, and Ali, how can our listeners find out more about what you're up to? And then, of course, uh, Zonda. So zondahome.com, so Z-O-N-D-A, home.com is where you'll find our events that we're doing both in Canada and in the U.S. We have a website called livable, L-I-V-A-B-L.com. And livable's focus is to get consumers in front of the new home market. So if people are looking for homes and they're saying, I'm so frustrated with the resale supply, Livable is there to help and to help people find new homes. Uh, for myself personally, if you're on Twitter, I'm at Ali Wolf Econ, A-L-I, Wolf, like the animal econ. And I tweet probably once or twice a week, but it's usually about different markets. So if people are thinking, oh, what's going on in this or or um, really want to see markets that, that we would highlight, you'll usually find that on my Twitter. Fantastic. Well, thanks again uh, for your time, Ali. That was a, that was a fantastic uh, conversation and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Zonda's chief economist, Ali Wolf. Really enjoyed having Ali on the program. Uh, it's not every day you get to have somebody who advises the White House on on Vancouver real estate. Yeah, podcast. I feel like uh, that was a. You know, it's funny. You had to pry it out of her. I know. She was like, "No big deal." I'd Whatever. be wearing a shirt asking <laughs> about <laughs> advising the uh, White House. <laughs> I, did, I advised the White House and all I got was a shirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's the thing about Ali Wolf that's so impressive is her ability to stay on top of so many markets in such a large geographical uh, landmass, right? Like, I mean, and, and I feel like the United States, like, yeah, how different is every state, is every city, is every town? The regional like, economy. You know, it was like, yeah. I think it was Murtaza Haider who said, uh, it's it's not really useful to even talk about Canadian real estate, yeah. right? And I, and uh, that's an like a pretty obvious point. But, right. but we even, still asked her, how's the American market yeah. doing? <laughs> <laughs> so how's the U.S.? Uh, yeah, and I, I think the big thing was, is uh, really with it in terms of Canadian real estate as well. Like, oh, really, yeah. Like, sound thoughts on uh, the Canadian market, on the Vancouver real estate market. Tons of takeaways. Really enjoyed having Ali on. Absolutely. And uh, Adam, just before we go, I do want to just stress uh, because there was two things that came up in the intro, I realized, and we didn't link them together. One was Simon Bray wearing a Vancouver real estate podcast t-shirt and him singing praise after praise about how it fits. The second one was Jaden Lee's 100-mile run. Right. And how we're trying to help Jaden Lee raise money for BC Children's Hospital because he's doing a 100-mile run October 6th 
starting at 3 p.m. And if you rate, if you donate $20, we'll give you a shirt. So you can wear the same shirt as Simon Bray well, and you can talk excitedly about how it fits. So I did a ton of research before we got these shirts. And you know what's funny is I'm starting to see them around town. And generally speaking, you know what's funny? I, I've given them to a few friends of mine. Right. And I'll run into them and they're wearing them. Not because they want to support us. No, they, they in don't. fact, they don't. They don't even listen. <laughs> they want, they like the shirt. Yeah. They they really like the shirt. The shirt quality, the key to get getting good traction on, on giving away shirts, get a good quality shirt. You know what? And uh, who was, not to keep on harping on these shirts, but I was somewhere where somebody was wearing one and my wife said, man, everybody looks good in those shirts. Yeah. 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 I can't remember who it was, but. Here it is. Here's, here's really, I'm going to tie this together because I see where you were going with yeah. that. Make a $20 donation to Jaden Lee. Yep. We'll send you out a shirt. These shirts cost more than $20. Sh- shipping. You're, you're actually, you're, you're making money. It costs <laughs> us more to ship them out to you. Yeah. This is really, uh, this is really just, the, the, we just want to support Jaden. $20. That's yeah. all it takes. Head over to our Instagram at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. It's easy. You can click in the link in the bio there is a, a way right there. It's the secure link to yeah. donate. Also available on the Five Wire. You should be signed up for the Five Wire. Well, Matt, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, wire? let's talk about it. it it's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where the eight-year back catalog lives and a host of other things. You can search by subject. It's just a great things for all real estate related content. There's also the Live Wire. You can sign up there. There's a button for Jaden Lee on the Live Wire. There's also you receive stats before everyone else. You get deal of the month. There's a host of things that come out every week on the live wire that are great. We also have, of course, for buyers and sellers, but mainly buyers, private client services. Yeah, Matt, because if you are not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at at, uh, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Just click buy with us. You can set up your own free account it is easy to do, and it's there's really no reason you shouldn't be monitoring the market with PCS right now. Honestly, uh, like you get listing updates in real time. This is this is the magic, and you get sold prices, which that's how you can track the market. So you you click buy with us to access PCS. If you want that sold plan that we've talked about so much, you hit sell with us. Or if you want to monitor your neighborhood where you live because you're just curious about the market. Hit buy with us and we'll get you uh, an account uh, up at PCS. Yeah. Learn what your neighbors are selling for. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can call at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week and we have so many fantastic episodes coming. We've got so many that we've already pre-recorded. Oh my God, just yeah. like... Yeah, I cannot wait to release these shows. So stay tuned uh, and look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.